This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you, and welcome. Ten minutes past two on this uh, somewhat chilly Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. And uh, great to be with you this afternoon and to be talking about things Jewish on Judaism 101.9. And, of course, major agenda for this weekend, not the royal wedding, although there is a royal wedding of sorts, which we'll explain a little bit later. And, uh, of course... Our real royal wedding is the wedding between the Jewish people and God that took place at Mount Sinai on the day of Shavuot, Shavuos, as it is known in Ashkenazis, Shavuot, the beautiful, beautiful hug that we are about to celebrate. And so, of course, we're going to be chatting about things to do with Shavuot, with this festival, which is starting and does begin on Saturday night as Shabbat Leaves us, we enter into this Chag to the Festival of Shuas, and it goes on through the whole day of Sunday and then all day Monday, ending, of course, on Monday evening when we make Havdalah and we end um, the Chag, we end the festival, and um, then there is no Cholamoyed um, like there is or like they are, well, I don't know exactly what you would term cholamoyed, whether it's plural or singular, but there is no cholamoyed for um, this festival, and in that it is unusual, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. There are, of course, and when it comes to Jewish festivals, there is always something to do with eating, and so there are certain things um, that pertain to eating for this Chag as well. Um, we'll talk through and discuss the various events, the various things that we should watch out for, um, the actual practices of this festival, and of course, um, some of the deeper meanings, some of the deeper reasons behind some of those practices, some of those things that we do on this Chag. So let's just talk about the actual lineup, because uh, from Judaism 101.9, um, Perspective, we need to know exactly what we've got to do. Well, we celebrate Shabbat, and of course, going through Shabbat just um, in every regular way. Well, there's nothing really regular about Shabbos, but going through Shabbos in a regular fashion, it is Shabbat, it is Parshat Bamidbar, and we begin a brand new book, the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, uh, which we start reading on this coming Shabbat. And then, of course, when we end Shabbos, and we go straight into Shavuos, into Shavuot. Now, there is a tradition, um, custom in South Africa. I think it's possibly uh, taken hold in many other parts of the world as well. Um, and um, there was obviously at some stage a discussion as to how do you get Jews to come to Shul on the first night of Shavuos, of Shavuot. Shavuot always, unfortunately, was kind of the forgotten of the three pilgrim festivals, although it is probably the most important because it's all about the receiving of, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And, of course, all the others are contained in that Torah that we were given then on Har Sinai all those thousands of years ago. And so um, it became a little bit forgotten. There are no matzahs to be eaten like uh, Pesach Seder um, kind of events. There is no lulav and etrog. We're not building the sukkah. Um, we make a few cheesecakes, I suppose, and blintzes and so on to get ready for shavuot, for shavuot. But there's not that much else um, that uh, goes with it. And therefore, perhaps it was deemed in people's minds. Perhaps it was deemed in people's minds as being 
a little bit less important, God forbid, or um, a little bit less significant um, compared to the other Chagim, the other pilgrim festivals, and therefore got a bit of a bad rap. Well, there was a discussion, of course, as to how do you get people to come to shul. And one of the inventions of uh, shuls uh, locally was uh, to make a shuls dinner, to make a Shavuot dinner. Well, this year, a little complicated because it's going straight off the Shabbos. I guess at a shul near you, there may be a dinner, um, but it will probably be taking place a little bit later um, than usual because, of course, no preparation can be done on Shabbos for uh, something that comes off the Shabbos. And so, therefore, shuls dinner is a little bit later, which gives us a an opportunity, of course, to uh, spend a beautiful Shabbos and then go for Shavuos and go full tilt at the um, customs and uh, rules and regulations of Shavuot, which include a late night learning program, preferably to stay up all night, which we'll talk about uh, reasoning for a little bit later on. But um, then... The evening will uh, be taken with either if you have a dinner or you're going home to spend Shavuot with your family um, and then preferably, if you can, to stay up and to learn through the night. In the morning, very, very important Torah readings takes place on the first day of Shavuot, which will be Sunday, and that important Torah reading incorporates within it the Ten Commandments. Of course, going through from Parshat Yitro, um, the um, uh, whole build-up to the Ten Commandments, how the Jews were around Mount Sinai, how we received the Torah, how we read out those Ten Commandments, the Aseras Adibris, which are read um, on that day. And it is traditional for people, uh, men, women, and children to gather in shul in order to hear the Ten Commandments and kind of to reenact what happened at Mount Sinai, that everybody was present, that everybody was switched on, that everybody was there, and that everybody participated and received the Torah. And so we re-receive it, so to speak, um, preferably standing um, when the Ten Commandments are read, facing towards the Torah, and you kind of have this idea, this reminiscent picture of the Jewish people standing around Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah as uh, the Ten Commandments are read out in Shul. Um, what then happens is um, in the uh, afternoon and evening, we come back for Mincha and Mayriv after um Myriv um, on the second day. We will, of course, uh, go home, make Kiddush, and do the usual on the second day of um, Shavuot during the day. That will be on Monday. Um, remember that Yizkor is said, as it is on the latter day or latter days of um, Chagim, of all festivals. And here we have the same thing. So the uh, Yizkor service is said on the second day. Remember to be in Shul if you can. Um, or if you, well, preferably you can, of course, but um, try and be there um, for all those who need to remember loved ones who are lost, loved ones who are no longer with us, um, and uh, commemorate their memories on um, Shavuot, as we do with the other Chagim, um, at Yiskor services. Now, Let's um, unpack perhaps some of the customs and let's first and foremost talk about the idea of staying up. Why do we stay up on Shavuot? What is the idea behind staying up all night learning Torah? Well, it's a wonderful thing to do. We receive the Torah in Mount Sinai and we're kind of showing our enthusiasm 
for learning, for studying the Torah. But it seems to be a little bit um, of a strange one when we look at the name that is given to the program of staying up all night, which is called Tikkun Leil. Tikkun, we, which we probably know has been popularized with uh, certain programs of Tikkun. Tikkun, um, Tikkun Olam, Tikkun in general means fixing. This is a world in which we can fix, and this is a place where we can fix, and we need to fix wrongs that have been uh, done or have been perpetrated throughout uh, periods of time, and we need to rectify them, and we call those programs programs of Tikkun. Here we have a program of Tikkun Leil, Tikkun Leil to fix up the night of Shavuot. Now, what was wrong with the night, and why does it need fixing? Well, we're told in the Midrash that something very, very strange happened on the occasion that the Torah was being given to us those three and a half thousand odd years ago. Um, when the Jewish people gathered at Mount Sinai, we knew we were receiving the Torah. We prepared for it. We were there. We were in into the moment and ready for it. And yet the Midrash records that God had to wake us up in the morning. We were Schloffing. We were caught napping, literally and figuratively, we were asleep. And it seems to be a terrible blot on our collective uh, history that uh, here we were sleeping when we should have been enthusiastically standing at the ready, ready to receive the Torah. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we were talking before the break about staying up all night on Shavuot and Tikkun Leil fixing up the night. And the reason being that we were caught napping. We were sloughing the night of Shavuot. It seems strange, don't you think, that um, the Jewish people would have slept um, that night, that nobody would have been awake. And in fact, the Midrash is quite interesting in the way that it describes what actually happened. It says that the sleep was wonderful. We slept beautifully, peacefully. In fact, it was so peaceful that um, the bugs didn't even bite. The mosquitoes didn't even bite that night. And, in fact, it was a very short night. Well, that makes sense. It's in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. It's kind of getting close to midsummer. That doesn't feel like that today in Joburg. Um, Midsummer in the Northern Hemisphere. And, therefore, the night was short. The bugs didn't bite. We had a wonderful schloff. We had a wonderful sleep. And God came in the morning and he said, where are you? Nobody around. Nobody here to take my call. I'm coming to give you the Torah. It's the most momentous occasion that has ever happened and that will ever happen. And the whole world has been waiting for this moment. And you, the Jewish people, have been looking forward to it. And not only that. From the moment you got out of Egypt, you've been preparing yourselves. This has been a seven-week preparation course, a crash course in spirituality and in making your souls ready receptacles to receive the Torah. You have had the most wonderful leadership and the the greatest teachers, the elders of your community from Moshe all the way down to the very last one have taught you everything that you need to know. And you've been working on refining your souls. So here you are ready to receive the Torah. And you're sleeping and you're not excited. Could you imagine today? Could you imagine if right now we knew that tomorrow was going to be the most momentous occasion in our lives? Whatever it is, it's a wedding day. It's a the kids are arriving from overseas. It's um, unbelievably momentous. I mean, I'd like to say that, yes, it's tomorrow morning because it sounds sacrilegious because it should be today. Mashiach is going to come. Could you imagine if we knew that for absolute definite, for certainty, it's going to be tomorrow morning? Who would be able to sleep tonight? 
you'd be up, you'd be preparing, you'd be making sure that you were ready. And how much more so? It was at Mount Sinai, and we were gathered there, and it was clear that that was the mountain, and that was where it was all going to happen. Everything was in place. Um, you would have wanted to be there for a front row seat with your kids, with your family. Um, you would have gotten up so early in the morning, you wouldn't have been able to, to sleep. You know, um, you know, you don't have to wait for an alarm clock when you're excited about something. You wake up without it. It would have been just like that. And so how was it possible that the Jewish people actually went to sleep? And what does it mean that the bugs didn't bite? What does it mean that uh, the, the mosquitoes didn't didn't it didn't it didn't sting in the night that they got no itchy bites what does it mean that the night was short well if we unpack it very carefully and we think about it really properly um obviously we've got to be talking about something far more spiritual than um we at first thought and perhaps um we need to follow the line of good hasidic thought which is that in fact the jewish people dafka went to sleep there was a notion and an understanding that at the time that we sleep, our souls are elevated. You know, the old adage and the old idea of sleeping on something, uh, I'll sleep on it and in the morning I'll come up with the answer. Well, it's clearly explained and clearly understood that um, what happens when we sleep is that our neshamas, our souls, are taken in for a refresh. Um, and they kind of leave the body. The body remains um, just with a little bit of an element of spirituality attached to it in that it is still breathing and it's still alive, but it's kind of in its lowest life form at the time that we sleep, and the soul is elevated on high. And we understand that the soul, therefore, is taken up above and can see things completely differently. Well, if you've got some kind of problem, um, an issue in your Torah learning, in your things that you have studied during the day, <clears throat> very often, just by going to sleep um, through the night, you wake up and it's crystal clear in the morning. It's explained that that is actually what happens. The neshama, the soul, sees things from a much higher and much more elevated perspective. And the Jewish people were tapping into that kind of an idea, that kind of a thought. You know, if our souls um, are going to really need to receive this Torah, isn't this the way to do it? If we're sleeping, the neshamas, the souls, will be elevated on high. We'll get the Torah in the most pristine, beautiful, clear, and um, crystal, beautiful, magnificent way. Why should we be awake if we're awake we're going to be adding the bodily dimension to everything. We're going to have all the things of the Yetzirah, of our inclinations to pull us down and to ground it, and um, not going to be the same. So there was a thought that we should Dafka go to sleep. And Dafka going to sleep meant that the Jewish people that night were actually elevated to a much higher spiritual level. You know, the bugs um, that bite really want to and they go after the physical they're after the material and if we can elevate ourselves to a realm to an, a level whereby we are far more spiritual the bugs aren't interested in us they're interested like our physical side is interested in material in physical in let's call it the grub the down to earth and so on we were elevated to that level that even the night was short the darkness in the world would have been and should have been at such a level whereby 
it is completely and absolutely diminished. We were shedding so much spiritual light. So we turn the whole story on its head and we say that, in fact, the Jewish people had very, very spiritual aspirations. They wanted to reach a level whereby they were far more spiritual than they were physical. And they felt, they thought, they really, really believed that the best way to do this was actually to be asleep and that the souls would be elevated and that this would be an entirely spiritual kind of a pristine, dreamlike kind of an event that would happen with Matan Torah Tenu, with the receiving, the giving of the Torah. However, that was the mistake. The mistake that was made was that God was giving us a physical uh, Torah to be brought down into a physical world, to address the physical ills, maladies, and then some of our physical material world, for us to be able to take the material and elevate it and make it spiritual, to make it into something of Kedusha, something of holiness. This was the reason that the Torah was given to us in the first place. Each and every mitzvah, every single mitzvah, which is a mode, a means of connecting with God, has got within it some kind of a physical application. We take um, leather and we turn it into tefillin. We take food and we elevate it by making brachot um, before and afterwards and by making sure that it is 100% kosher. We um, get involved with our finances, money, by dedicating it for tzedakah, by giving it to charity. We turn the physical into the spiritual. We take things and we make them into things that are holy. We elevate each and every item that we come into contact with and every part of our physical material lives therefore becomes a practice, an avoda, a service of God, turning the mundane and the uh, ordinary and the material into things that are spiritual, into things that are holy, into things that are special, things of Kedusha. And this was the reason that the Torah was given to us. And the beat that we missed and the idea that we missed and the tikkun that we have to do, the fixing up that we have to do is to fix up the night. We had created a, an illusion of how exactly we were going to receive the Torah in a dreamlike, um, sleepy kind of a fashion where we weren't in touch with reality and God said, no, this Torah is reality. It is about taking the reality that you have and um, making it holy and making it into something of Kedusha, something of holiness. This is your job. This is what you've got to do. This is the reason that I'm giving you the Torah in the first place. And that's the mistake. That's the tikkun that we have to make. So we've got to talk about not only things to do with Torah, I guess, but things that can bring about a practical application as well. How it's not just about the uh, luft, and it's not just about the uh, the the um, uh, the spirituality that we hope and we yearn for, and we think that we're going to gain in a completely spiritual, almost metaphysical kind of a a a, a, a realm, but that it's actually down to earth leads to down to earth practical application, practical fulfillment of the mitzvahs that we do. This was the reason that the Torah was given to us in the first place, and so tikkun leil. That's what it's really all about. We spend time, hopefully, not making the same mistake again, but hopefully learning things that have got some kind of a practical outcome, some kind of a practical application, which uh, brings us into um, the real realm of why the Torah was given to us in the first place. It is also customary, and most people will know about this, that on Shavuot we eat milk foods. Now, 
there are many, many reasons why we eat milk foods, and there are many different practices as to when those milk foods are actually eaten. To eat dairy foods on Shavuot, um, the um, idea of cheese blintzes, cheesecakes, and so on, um, is really, really the, probably the first thing that the majority of people think about when we think about Shavuot. There are many, many different reasons for it. Let's talk about just a few. One is that the Jewish people at Mount Sinai didn't only receive the Ten Commandments, they received the whole Torah. And so immediately they were aware of the Kashrut laws, as since the Torah was given to us. Tradition has it, and we understand from the Talmud and so on that it was given on a Shabbos, on Shabbat. No cattle could be slaughtered, and the utensils that we had could not be kashered. And so, therefore, it was much easier just to eat the uh, dairy foods that we had around. Um, and uh, so that is one idea. Idea number two is that the Torah is likened to nourishing milk. Um, the Torah, like milk, and the fact that we were like newborn babies at the time that we received the Torah. Um, also, that milk is, uh, the Hebrew word for milk is chalav. And if we take the numerical value of each of the letters of the word chalav, and we add them together, it is chalav, chet is eight, lamed is thirty, uh, bet is two, the total is 40, and 40 is the number of days that Moshe Rabbeinu spent on Mount Sinai when he received the Torah. Yes, we all remember that from the stories, 40 days and 40 nights. We also remember um, something else, and that is that the mountain that is um, Mount Sinai was known to be not only humble, a humble mountain, it wasn't the highest, it wasn't the most beautiful, but um, somewhere it is referred to as Har Gavnunim. It is called kind of, I don't want to be cheesy, but it's called Cheesy Mountain, the mountain of cheese. Perhaps it is the way that it was supposed to have looked with its white sands and so on. Um, but there again, another reason for um, the milk foods. On the festival of Shavuot, a two-loaf bread offering was brought to the temple. And to commemorate this, some say the idea of the milk foods is that we eat two meals on Shavuot, kind of at our lunchtime. One is a dairy meal, and then we have a short break, and we eat a regular traditional um, holiday meal, the meal of a regular chag, of a regular festival meal. So several reasons for the milk foods. Um, but um, clearly there are then also several traditions. The most um, applicable, I think, is that we eat milk foods only after we have received the Torah. So in other words, after Torah reading on the first day, that is the time that milk foods should be served. And we do that possibly best kind of at the time of your kiddush, of your bracha, the bracha time right after shul. That is the best time to eat the milk foods. Then you can have a little bit of a gap in between and go home, of course, to a regular Yom Tov lunch. We should um, on Yom Tov, because it is Yom Tov, we should eat fish, we should eat meat, we should do all of those things as well. And obviously we can't mix it in because of our clear um, rules of not mixing meat and milk together and so on. So the milk meal, um, so to speak, should be held on the first day of Shavuot, that's on Sunday, after Torah reading, after our davening in the morning, after Shachrit and Musaf, that is when we should traditionally eat milk foods. Now, um, talking about milk foods, uh, Pick and Pay Hypo Northwood has the following specials valid until the 18th of May 2018. Lancewood Cottage Cheese, Smooth Cream, 
250 grams was 30 rand 25 now 23.99 pick and pay sunflower oil 2 liters 39.99 reduced down to 29 rand Baxburg kosher kiddush sweet red wine 750 mils was 85.75 is now 75 rand um, to spice things up a little bit pick and pay onions 2 kilos was 29.99 now 22 rand that's pick and pay hyper norwood this is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we're talking about the beautiful festival that we have coming up, of course, on Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday called Shavuot, Shavuot. Well, what does Shavuot actually mean? Well, of course, it means weeks. One Shavuot is one week. Shavuot or Shavuot means weeks, several weeks. It's the Festival of Weeks. Why is it the Festival of Weeks? Well, we have explained that it actually took seven weeks from the time that we quit Egypt until we stood at Mount Sinai and received the Torah. And we were told that we needed to come to number those, to count those days, to make sure that um, we had passed through the seven weeks and that each day was a day of refinement. Each day was a day that we were working on ourselves in order to get a little bit closer. We had been sunken into the depths of the depravity of an immoral and um, a really sick kind of a society that um, we had been thrust into in Egypt. And here, coming out of that environment each day was a step up, was a step out, was a step towards Mount Sinai. Seven weeks. So it's the Feast of Weeks at the festival, celebrating the weeks that pass between Pesach and Shavuos. And it therefore is called Shavuot. The word Sheva, of course, is seven. This is the way that Hebrew works. And therefore, a Shavua is a, 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 com, a, com, a composition of seven days, which is a week. Now, in addition to that, we also know that um, a, shvua, a Shavua means an oath. It, in fact, was, we joked about it at the beginning, about the idea of a royal marriage, but this was the royal marriage between God and the Jewish people. Um, the royal marriage that took place all those years ago at Mount Sinai on Shavuot, on Shavuot, meant that there were oaths of allegiance that were made between God and the Jewish people. God undertook to look after us. God undertook to provide us with everything that we needed. And we undertook at Mount Sinai, we made an oath, an oath of commitment that we would keep God's Torah, that we would study his Torah, that we would do his mitzvot, that we would make the world a better place, that we would help to complete the uh, creation that God had um, given to us. And we would bring the whole world to the fruition that it so desires, that it so needs. And this was the idea of uh, the festival being called Shavuot or Shavuot. We also mentioned the fact that um, this Chag, this festival, has got um, some other added uh, meanings to it. It is also known, by the way, as Atzeret. Now, the word Atzeret means um, to stop. It's from the word Atzor. If you drive around in the streets in Israel, you know that at every uh, stop street, every corner, there's the word Atzor. Atzor means to stop. Atzeret means to stop. What does it mean? We stop work. It's the idea of stopping to work. Now, why should this be called Atzeret rather than any of the other festivals? Because on all the other festivals, we also stop work. But this is one that is entirely from the beginning to the end of the Schag. It is all Atzor. There, all work is stopped. When we think about uh, Pesach or or uh, Sukkot, there are what we call the intermediate days. There are the days of Chol HaMoed, on which we are entitled to handle money, to light fire, to um, um, go to work, um, to drive in a motor car, and so on. We're allowed to do all of those things. 
But here with Shavuot, it is all atzor. Everything stops, and it's almost condensed into the one day as it is in Israel or the two days as we have here in the diaspora of um, this beautiful Chag as well. In ancient times, um, two wheat loaves we mentioned before would be offered in the Holy Temple on Shavuot, and it was also at this time that the people would start bringing bikurim, their first and choicest fruits, to thank God for Israel's bounty, for everything that it produced. Remember um, summer, remember all the spring uh, fruits and uh, so on um, were out and were available. And so this was um, the opportunity of bringing those bikurim. If you remember back in the old days, it was uh, something that was also a way of trying to get kids to come to shul on Shavuot. They were asked to be to bring baskets of fruit which were then given to the poor. Uh, quite a nice and beautiful idea, I suppose. Um, but um, really the Bikurim um, is something that ceased in the times of, with, with the um, uh, desecration, decimation, and uh, destruction of our Beit HaMikdash, of our temple. The actual concept of Bikurim, of bringing the first and choices fruits, um, no longer really applies. So we've got so much um, relevance and so much that is rich in the ideas um, that are conveyed and uh, the whole concept of the practices of Shavuot. Um, There really is only one more uh, to add to the story of Shavuot, and that is the Book of Ruth. Now, in many communities, the Book of Ruth is studied on a Shavuot night, but many read it on the second day of Shavuot. The whole Book of Ruth, the whole Megillat Ruth is read, and there are several reasons for this custom. Number one, is Shavuot is the birthday and the Yorzeit, in other words, the birthday and the anniversary of the passing of King David. The book of Ruth records his ancestry. We've got to remember that Ruth and her husband Boaz were King David's great-grandparents. Secondly, the scenes of harvesting described in the book of Ruth are appropriate for the festival of harvest, um, which Shavuot is as well. And thirdly and finally, Ruth was a sincere convert who embraced Judaism with all her heart. And on Shavuot, all Jews were converts, each and every one of us accepted the Torah and all of its precepts, much like we ask a convert to Judaism to do. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. There is another wonderful and beautiful reason as to why the book of Ruth is associated with Shavuot. Ruth, we just mentioned, Ruth was a sincere convert. Remember her with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and how she said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And all of those wonderful things that are contained in the story um, of her converting and the sincere convert. And many converts today, um, women who become Jewish, um, accept or take upon themselves the name Ruth um, as a sign, as a symbol of the uh, conversion that Ruth went through. It is interesting to note that Ruth gives birth her she is a great great grandmother as we said of king david and of course then mashiach is going to come from that lineage as well so um, everything within the story to prove and to show that a sincere and uh, proper convert to judaism is uh, not only um, great but it's the greatest it is a a wonderful thing and it gives rise to uh, the whole malchus based david to the whole house of king david as well as mashiach himself now when we take the word ruth And we think about Ruth and what it means if we take it numerically. um, It is quite a fascinating study as well because we know that um, at Mount Sinai we were given 
613 mitzvahs. 613 mitzvahs are contained in the Torah. If we take that in its um, numerical form, we call it in Hebrew Tariag. Tariag mitzvot is uh, the tough is 400, the resh is 200, that's 600, and Yud Gimel um, is 13. 613 mitzvot is Tov, Resh, Yud, Gimel, Tariag. When we um, think about the word Ruth, Ruth, and we take that in numerical values, it is Resh is 200, Vov is 6, and Tov is 400, so we've got 606. So what is the difference between 606 and 613 is that big and wonderful number of 7. Now we remember that... um, the Noahide laws were given to all mankind before the uh, Torah. And the idea of the sons of Noah, of the children of Noah, every nation, every person, every individual having to honor those seven Noahide laws, that applied to everybody. So standing at Mount Sinai, we already had seven mitzvot, which we had to take upon ourselves just to be called a child in this world, a child of God, a creature, a human being, um, should fall under the banner of all those seven laws. How many new ones did we have to take upon ourselves at Mount Sinai with 606? What's the numerical value um, or the uh, classical Hebrew values of the numbers 606 is root. Each and every one of us became Ruths at Mount Sinai, and we became the classical converts to Judaism, accepting upon ourselves all the mitzvot of the Torah. So hopefully we can rededicate ourselves to everything that the Torah stands for. It's not only about the learning, it's about the practical, it's about putting it into practice, it's about making this world come right, it's about fixing the things that are broken, it's about um, fixing up the, the night and the darkness, and it's about putting into practice everything that we know about this wonderful, wonderful gift that God gave us at Mount Sinai. And the anniversary of it all is coming up on this weekend. Let's have a wonderful, beautiful Chag, a wonderful, beautiful Shabbat up ahead, a beautiful festival of Shavuot on um, Sunday and Monday. Let's make sure that we're in shul on the first day of Shavuot on Sunday to hear the reading of the Ten Commandments, to hear the reading of the Torah, where we once again receive the Torah and understand its great and intrinsic value, not only to us, but to the entire world. And hopefully we'll be able to accomplish all of that. And hopefully we'll be able to then see the uh, real um, success of it all with um, Ruth's descendant, Mashiach Tzidkenu, our Mashiach coming speedily in our time. Wish you a great one. Look forward to being back with you again next week. Same time, same place on Judaism 101.9.